Josh Way. And I'm Jacob Stevenson. Welcome to our podcast here at Shutter Speed Media. This is a podcast for people interested in video and photo production in the automotive industry. Our goal is to share and educate and entertain you with stories, experiences, and content we created, plus bring on guests to share their experiences in this field. And today we're talking all about drones. That is a UAS aerial camera system. Correct. So, Jacob, you have some experience in this field, but you're not certified, right? Yeah, my experience is very limited because I don't actually, I'm not actually certified to fly a drone. I enjoy it. I do it for fun. I bring it uh, on vacations and stuff, but it's kind of a thing that I deemed very early on that I don't want to deal with. And I'd rather pay the people prepared and, and certified to do it correctly with all the right stuff. Right. And I am certified and, and that doesn't mean you can't fly a drone legally you can fly a drone legally without without being certified a licensed uh operator uh but you can only do that legally for recreation right as soon as you start making money you have to legally be certified right if you're on any sort of job where you are getting compensated that's considered a commercial application and you legally according to the faa need a license um, but before we dig into a little bit about all drone, all the talk about drones and everything else, um, I just wanted to say, like, as a video photo person, um, if you or someone in your network of people, video people or photo people, are not running a drone, you should be. These are incredibly powerful tools that can add so much dimension to any project you're on. And they don't cost as much as helicopters used to cost. They've bridged a gap. Right. On the high-end commercial side, they definitely saved costs. Um, Bridging gaps seems to be a theme in the filmmaking industry. For sure. So um, a little history about drones. Um, drone technology has been around for decades. Um, typically, it has uh, been used in warfare to surveil an enemy or you know collect data or in more modern um, applications the predator drones are actually equipped with weapons to take out bad bad guys evil um but it really didn't hit the consumer side until uh 80s 90s when you started to see remote um helicopters remote operated planes like little miniature planes Um, but even those were extremely limited they had zero payload you couldn't put a camera on them really um it was not part of the creative industry um we didn't start to see cameras getting put on consumer drones until the 2000s, uh, more specifically around 2010. That's really when um, a lot of different companies started to go like wildfire grow in this industry. Um, DJI is the, one of the biggest companies, private companies in the world now, and certainly most profitable. They uh, released the Phantom 1 a drone in January of 2013. Um, and that didn't even have their own camera system on board. I believe it was made to be paired with a GoPro. And even that, it was a fixed position. So you couldn't, you couldn't pan, you couldn't do anything with it. I it actually kind of remember when that came out. And the first thing that I noticed was the vibration waves that came through the image. And when they would fly, you thought it was such a cool idea. It's like, ooh, you know, like... I can use this for my films and not have to pay for a helicopter now. Right. And the image that you would get was very subpar. Very subpar. But 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 in everyone's minds, it clicked, right? Like, this is something special. Like, all of a sudden, we can be 
getting shots of our subjects, whatever it be, cars, people, weddings, commercial, anything um, from the air. And I think it clicked in all of our minds that holy cow, something big is about to change in our industry. So thinking back before uh, all the drones became a huge thing, uh, I just think of in the 90s when I was a kid, thinking, dreaming of the idea of flight. I just loved flight. Like how cool it would be to be like a bird and have wings and fly, you know, like to see the world <laughs> from the air is so cool. Right. Um, and the idea of like controlling a remote helicopter seems so awesome. So now in like 2020, when it's like a normal thing now, uh, I still think it's freaking awesome. And I actually just showed uh, my drone to... I saw some neighbor kids at my house and they're just like, Oh, it's cool. Whatever. <laughs> These kids like, are growing yeah. up with drones. Have you seen the tiny ones that they can get for like Christmas, like $20? Right. I have one. Yeah. They're it does like, look like six inches. Yeah. They do flips and they fly around. Right. So they had one of those. And I think like, it's nothing. I don't know. Kids, kids these days, right? Kids but these days. I don't know. I grew up thinking how amazing would it be? And I still get giddy about how cool drones are. Um, but there's definitely like a technological change in the minds of kids that are born yeah. this side of 2000 that, uh, I don't know. They're just, they're just more desensitized to technology and how incredible it is. It seems to not blow them away as much as it, it did us when that stuff was launching. Right. So all that said, this stuff is cool stuff. And if you're not using it, you really should be because it's powerful stuff. So obviously we were around in the early 2000s. Um, let's say 2010 was kind of the launch of the GoPro on a drone. You remember that. I remember that. I don't remember much about it. It's just kind of like, yeah, cool. It's a drone. Uh, again, I'm not a huge drone guy. I just pay people like Josh to do drones for me. What did you think when that first drone came out? Yeah, I didn't jump on it right away either. Um, it just didn't click. What was it? I mean, I, I didn't buy in right away. Uh, well, I was I think, a, I think a little the, timid of the technology. Yep. And as were pretty much everyone else in the world. Uh, people, I mean, it was incredibly exciting and I, I just, I just didn't buy in. I, uh, my first drone was actually a Phantom three pro and, uh, that didn't come out for so yeah, three, two, three years after the Phantom one. And also it was probably 2016 ish. Um, and that's when I first bought in and it was by then they had their own cameras built on to the Phantom systems. And, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's incredible to see the progression of the technologies. Um, I think people in general were scared of their rights and their privacy and all this when drones became uh, accessible to like right everybody right well that's a great point because um with any new power there are people who abuse it and make problems uh, out of a good thing uh, drones are yeah super powerful and super interesting and they now allow us to do so many new things but there are always people that abuse that power um and really they're harming the industry for any of us that use tools professionally and even for recreation for fun i mean capturing family vacations whatever right um if you're using your drone and not being aware you know, you think the sky's the limit, but it's not. There's more activity in the skies that you have to be aware of than than on the ground in a lot of cases. I mean, if you're over the forest, you know, you get above the forest, there's nothing going on in the trees or whatever. But once you're up, like you're dealing with planes, you're dealing with uh, 
airspaces that are yeah whatever those, birds those friggin owls that um, wouldn't let us fly at red rock yeah and then if you <laughs> we'll explain that later <laughs> and then if you're flying in a popular spot like let's say like a beach you know or something where now you're going to see several drones in the airspace at the same time and then you can cause collisions those collisions then you know like will the drones will fall right out of the sky and land on somebody and hurt somebody. And, and then you get sued. Right. And then there's there's lots of examples of people flying before the software was built in to stop you from flying at airports, uh, especially on DJIs. They're really strict about that. Um, before that existed, people would fly near airports. And next thing you know, uh, way more restrictions are being laid upon all of us who use our drones illegally and safely because of the actions of the dumb few and maybe they're innocent accidents but probably not not. always they're usually just ignorant accidents they're just ignorant accidents from from ignorant people so what's the deal with becoming certified why become certified aside from taking it into a career path and needing that certification to make money flying drones is it actually that important to be certified and do you think like driving a car, everyone who pilots a drone should have some level of certification. Yeah, really good questions. I think that anyone who flies a drone should at least be self-aware of what the rules of the air are and the ramifications of your actions. I always so, wonder if DJI should come up with like a the first time you open the DJI Go app and plug your drone in, like you have to go through a process like... Oh, it's a good idea. Take off and fly straight for 10 feet and land. I would actually support that. I would actually actually say like if they... Like the first time you power up a drone for the very first time and right. open the app, which it takes to run, if it on the app you can't fly it until you go through like... Uh, a 30-minute like training session of like basic rules and and knowledge and uh, questions. Basic how to fly. Yeah, I mean, so many videos on the internet we've seen of just like hey, look at my drone and then they ram it into a ground door and it's broken. Um, but back on the certified question, um, like we mentioned at the beginning, you have to be certified. You have to have a license from the FAA in order to fly a drone for commercial purposes. And commercial purposes means if you're getting paid really in any form, that is considered a commercial operation. You have to have a license. The licensing process um, has changed a little bit over the years, um, over the past like 14 years since the FAA started to open up um, license requirements for drones. Um, The FAA basically makes you sit through uh, or take a test um, that um, has to be renewed every two years um, at a, um, a licensing station. Um, which you can find find your local one. They're usually near an airport uh, and all over the country. And basically on that test is based uh, general knowledge questions about aviation, about airports, about right-of-ways, about uh, different classes of airspace, how to read aeronautical maps, um, and just... Yeah, general aviation questions. It's basically like a rudimentary pilot's exam. Um, it's kind of like a dumbed down version of like an airplane pilot's exam because obviously you don't need to know everything about flying an airplane, but they want you to know mostly airspace questions about stuff. And then also they teach you in the testing and learning about how to request and talk to towers and ATC, air traffic controllers, um, about if you need to fly in the airspace. So they just, they just kind of educate you on protocols for dealing with, with, yeah, all things ATC. Yeah. Cause it's not like getting your certification suddenly grants you 
airspace and anywhere you go you still have the restrictions that you would if you were kind of just a hobbyist flyer yeah, the exact same rules apply in fact you can't fly more than 400 feet up um you can't fly anywhere near an airport you know there's different there's different levels of of how close you can fly to an airport um based on your elevation and stuff but all the exact same rules apply it's just now that you're certified you actually have a greater liability right? because the FAA knows who you are. You're legally supposed to put um, an FAA number on your drone systems. You, each drone system you have, you have to have a separate uh, number so that if you ever crashed it, they could track you down and kill you <laughs> if you did something stupid. <laughs> or just sue you. <laughs> or just sue you or have you whatever. Have you ever gotten in trouble with your drone? I don't have any experience. Legal? Legal trouble. We'll, we'll talk about accidents later. No, no legal trouble. I mean, the, uh, the closest thing I've had for like trouble while flying was just pissed off people. You know, <laughs> in my experience, there's two types of people that come after you or come talk to you when you're flying a drone. There's the people that are very excited about it. They, oh man, I saw you flying, you know, over there, and I just I came and tracked you down because I think it's so cool. Can, you know, can I see? You know, yeah. can I see? Does yeah. it take videos or can I see the picture that you're right. seeing? And they they ask lots of questions. And I think that's how cool. far how far can that thing fly? It's all the same. <laughs> how fast does it go? How far does it go? Uh, you know, how high does it go? You know, does it take pictures? Blah blah. blah. Um, but when you're on a job, that kind of stuff's just distracting. You just have to kind of be like, whatever, get them, answer their questions and let them walk away. Um, and then the other type of person is the really paranoid, uh, nervous guy who's like, Hey, uh, you're not flying that over my property. Are you? Uh, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I've shot those down before, you know, all these things. So I've had people literally say they've shot drones out of the sky before. Um, Has your drone ever been shot at? No, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Uh, I think you'd be pretty furious. Yeah. Well, he'd owe me some money because I would be not flying too low, uh, where somebody would legally be able to shoot it out of the sky. Cause the, if you fly, I think it's below a hundred feet over private property or something. I think it's a hundred feet. Um, yeah, somebody can shoot it. You know, that's because, or that's just, yeah, like if some, you're flying over private property, they own right, the land, right? right? But they technically legally own the air above it up to a certain point. I think it's a hundred or 200 feet or something like oh, okay. that. Um, it's like similar with water property. You own like X amount of yeah, feet into the water. That and a, if you know, if you're anyone listening knows the answer to that, let us know because I'm going to Google it otherwise. But, um, but yeah, so you just don't be stupid. Don't fly over directly over private property um, and you're good. But otherwise, yeah, people are either excited about it or they're mad about it and they're coming out and getting in your face. So. so insurance is a touchy subject. For me, there's times that I should have had insurance that I didn't thinking I was covered. I feel like a drone needs to be even more specifically you know, noted on a policy. And what kind of insurance do you have to carry in order to legally fly your drone to make money? Well, you don't need any insurance um, unless your employer or contracted employer requires it. Um, I have a general liability policy that covers my whole business and it does include some drone. But what I actually don't have right now I got to get still is like what they call hull coverage, basically replacement cost of your crash drone. Well, let me tell you, when, yeah. you, when you, you know crash your camera... Too. It gets expensive very fast and is oftentimes much more than just the price of a policy. Right. So 
I, I got to get on that. Um, I've never crashed a drone. I've never, well, I have crashed a drone, but I've never <laughs> lost a drone in a crash. Okay. Um, but insurance is very important as we've talked about in previous podcasts. Um, and th- it, it, there is hull coverage out there. It's kind of hard to find. Not a lot of insurance, your, your major insurance carriers are going to want to cover drones on a, any sort of business policy. At my state farm has been like, no, yeah, we won't can, cover anything to do with drones. I also have State Farm for everything personal, and they wouldn't even cover videography. They cover photography, but they don't cover videography. And apparently, there's there's enough of a difference right. in but situations. State Farm uh, photography insurance coverage that was a hard kind of thing to explain. They were they were kind of hesitant on that, but uh, insurance is good. Get it. You you know, use it when you need it. Um, it's going to save your butt. You should have you, it. When you get in trouble. I'm an advocate for insurance. Yes, we both are. Since January 2013, when the Phantom 1 drone hit the market, seven years have gone by. What improvements have you seen? What gets you most excited about drones? Because you're the drone pilot here between the two of us. And what what do you hope that you see in drone technology coming in the future? Yeah. um, I mean, the biggest obvious thing is not... I mean, they all basically fly, you know, the same. They all have a speed range between 30 and 60 miles an hour. Uh, they all go the same height and it's, it's not about that. It's, it's really about the camera technologies. Um, so for the consumer end of the drone market, seeing camera advancements on the low end has been really cool to see. And what do you consider to be low end? Like the DJI spark? No, those are like low, low end. I'm talking about (laughs) Mavics. I'm talking about phantoms. Um, I, you know, as we know, and I've discussed it already is I bought the inspire Two uh, late last year for projects from here on out. Uh, I still have my other drones. I still got two phantoms and a Mavic. Uh, but the I two is a big step up in camera technology. It has interchangeable lenses. It has a much bigger sensor than the Mavic and others. And the bit rates are much higher. So you're recording it basically Hollywood level quality uh, with Apple ProRes RAW, which is a huge thing. And with that compression of the better lenses, it's the picture as you know, as you've seen too, yeah. is so much crisper. It seems like the i2 is an industry standard for kind of that top tier production level before you have to go to helicopters. And well, I- no, there's, there's still one more one more tier and it's like the octocopters with an open oh, chassis so you could load up but I any would, old camera on there i would argue that the i2 might defeat that or be better well there's you can pros and cons there's a lot of pros there's and cons. a lot of pros and cons so it the, depends what you want out of an operator and the kind of shot type right but the i2 capabilities are incredible they are incredible but they're not they're not full through and through capability. Uh, um, it's you're right. Ma- it's, you know, you can't change everything. It's so, not a cinema camera flying. Right. Like and you, you can do that. So the cost of an I two is very expensive. It's well, I like, don't know. My whole this- package is like fifteen thousand dollars. So that's that's kind of the whole deal. I went all in on the Inspire two. I got the activation keys. I got dual remotes. I got um, the different lenses. Um, but even that is a fraction of what it costs to get like an octocopter set up with a red and all your manual um, 
what do you call it? Your motors that run all the the focusing wheels and yeah. all everything else. That becomes a three man operation pretty much. Mm, I, You've got it, the it, yeah it the does drone operator, your camera the, operator, your gimbal. focus puller exactly. Um, plus the expense goes up exponentially. You're looking at fifty to a hundred thousand dollars in just getting a drone system in the air um, with your camera. I still feel hesitant to fly a camera that has a safety wire that's attached to my car that's five feet off the ground. And to think about flying a red on a gimbal on an octocopter, hundreds of feet in the air with no safety wire. I mean, that's where insurance really (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you see that done on the highest of uh, budget, you know, commercial commercials uh, I'm gonna, applications I'm pay more attention to that because i feel like i do see more i2 usage and then the jump to like a helicopter especially in the automotive industry when you're filming like races like baja 1000 across the desert yeah you know you've got i2 for your stations I think, but I then mean, it's a I'm, lot of helicopter vehicle unless it's the accounts i yeah, follow on instagram i'm a little more tuned into the drone scene than you are and i definitely see the octocopters get used quite a bit. Okay. So there's there's a lot of companies out there that are still they're paying the big bucks. They've got the Reds and the Aries that are strapped onto a an eight rotor, and uh, they're getting incredible shots that are, you know, the best quality you can get that are fully controlled from a drone. It's really cool. But I'm not there yet. I, for now, am really enjoying the i2 and its uh, its capabilities. So it's really, I've really enjoyed, fun. I think I've got the first gen Mavic. I enjoy it. Yeah. But I'm, I would be what's called a hobbyist because it's not something I want to deal with. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I pay Josh for that. Um, so, yeah, that's like we talked a little bit about the octocopters and they have big payloads that can take heavy, heavy cameras. And in one instance, I remember seeing, uh, the Casey Neistat video a couple of years ago when he partnered with like Samsung, remember that video where they made an octocopter that was like oversized. And then he went for a ride on the octocopter. Do you I, don't remember that? Se- I don't know if I've seen that pretty wild. If you Google Casey Neistat drone fly whatever you'll you'll find it where he like literally took off uh he's like out in the desert in finland or sweden or not desert uh um like snow or up in the mountains or whatever dang uh so that was kind of cool that was just like an experiment really but um and then uh, another thing that i wanted to touch on was just the the variation in drone applications so we're talking about the creative side of things like the the productions the video photo production industry um, but there's tons of other cool applications that i'll just kind of that i'll just talk about for just a second and that's industrial applications so people are flying these drones for um inspections of power lines of uh, windmills of solar panels and they're attaching different sorts of uh mapping cameras that can see under the ground that does all sorts of cool i don't even know what um and then there's like fire um, departments that are using drones for like search and rescue. They have lights on them. They have loudspeakers on them. They have FLIR cameras that cops are using to hunt down criminals that are hiding in the bushes. Um, they can see heat, um, like infrared stuff. It, it, it's incredible the st- with, with drones. And I, I think it's awesome. Um, hopefully more people start to respect the tool and follow the rules and don't 
hurt our industry by being dumb because the technology is now at this point, it's saving lives. I know a guy who is a drone company in Minneapolis. He got on a job with the police department or whatever. He found a missing person in Minnesota this year with, with his drone. Like he found, like they found him. Like they gave him a, an area to search basically from yep. the sky and he well, just like went. Part of a search and rescue mission, which was like incredible. That's you know? actually kind of crazy. It's super cool. So drones are cool that's what we're learning drones are cool and they're good don't be stupid with them all right so we have interesting drone stories of course there's a learning curve to these things and i personally haven't ever crashed a drone but i also personally have only have how do you track your time flying is it like hours in the air i maybe have like two or three hours of flying yeah, a drone your app will record all of your geo data that's and for, for every me, flight it's, it's boring stuff over a lake or an open field and just kind of filming vacation these shots but for you i know the two of us working together you have almost hit power lines it I, just happens at, yeah. at Brainerd International Raceway. I was I was roughing footage oh, for a project. Couple, that was one close call a couple of years ago, and I was like, "Man, that's so like a weird, like this quick vibration line across the screen." It's like that's weird. Like I want to use this portion of the shot, but it's just not usable. So I like look at it closer, and like on the the peripherals of the shot, there's two telephone wires, and then the wires are stacked on top of each other. So there's one on top, one on one on the bottom, and there's probably like a three foot gap. And I was just just watching the footage, and the drone goes. Like right between the wires. So I was and flying and I was on the flying. other side of the track. You were not even in eyesight. Is that bad to say? You were not within. I could, <laughs> I could see the drone, but I was I was looking at my screen. Right. You You're know? not paying that close attention to the surroundings because you thought I you were. I was a half up, mile away. Yeah. I thought you thought you were above it all. But nope, you went right through these power lines. And I sent you the video and I was like, holy cow, man. Yeah. So I was chasing a couple of cars, right? We were doing some tracking work. Yeah. It was for uh, one of the 3M projects with the Chrome NSX. Yeah, so we send the car around the track. I was chasing it with the drone, and I thought uh, from memory that I, I, there was nothing. Well, we've been at that track a lot. Yeah, there's nothing over there that I had to worry about because I was right above the track, and uh, little did I know I inadvertently literally went right between two different wires. So like in that power case, lines. do you think that the sensors caught it and just adjusted your height no. to go right through, or is that no. 100% chance? Cause the, that, the sensors didn't even pick it up. It was your Phantom 4 Pro, mm-hmm. right? So that already is like a foot and a half tall. Mm-hmm. And the gap between the lines was probably three feet, if not a little less. And I was going full speed. I was probably 35 <laughs> miles an hour. And just, Could you imagine? If it just got caught up there and zapped. Yeah, even just like one of the props hitting that, it would just tangle it up and drop to the ground. Yeah, it would have. Or just like got hung up on there and I would have to go fish it off. Right. There's electricity. So that was just kind of a luck. That was just lucky. <laughs> lucky moment there flying a drone. Um, one notable time that um, it's already like a big deal to me was just f- recently flying at Pikes Peak. So I should, looking back, I should have um, bought the, they make like high altitude propellers for drones. Again, that's a learning curve, right? Well, I knew they existed. I just like, oh, I'll be fine. But I also thought my car would be fine, but that was overheating the entire time. Right. So Jonah and I in the BMW M2 on Crown Rally two weeks ago, we uh, left the launch early by about like 45 minutes and got ahead to Pikes Peak ahead of everyone else so we could get set up high on the mountain for, for these shots. Um, so we got up to just below the Devil's Playground. Um, which is, we were at something like 12,000, 12 and a half thousand feet, something is, like that. Is Devil's Playground the top? Is that what no, they call it? No. Oh. That's just where 
There's a big parking lot. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. the top is like a couple miles further. Yeah. Yeah, I know we didn't go all the way to the top. But. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we got set up there and it was just incredibly beautiful and scenic and amazing to fly your drone that high. And I had the 50 millimeter lens on. And once all the crown cars started um, stacking up and driving up together, I got some beautiful shots um, as they started to make their way up the zigzags, <laughs> sorry, up the zigzags to Evo Corner. And it was just beautiful. Yeah, there was another photographer because this was on Crown Rally. So there's a media team assembled for this and a handful of photographers first and we're the video team with a bunch of people um and he had a dji what's the level between spark and mavic isn't there one more like a or is it or is it small there's the mavic air the mavic air i think is what he had and he lost it he went about oh, really he went a mile out and then lost signal because it you know wrapped around one of the edges of the mountain and he was on he the was other on side crown. He and was it, it was it was thomas with the the blonde hair photographer kid that oh, always rode with no. the the russian guys the russian team so he he flew it from the so top he flew of it and i stood next to him he's like oh no oh no oh no and i'm like dude what's up he's like i'm flying my drone but i just lost my signal i can't see anything and i don't know where it is <laughs> and, and he was, never recovered it well he did recover it but i was standing there next to him getting shots because i was on a long lens following cars on the tripod just kind of coming up and down the the switchbacks and finally he's like no way and i was like what's up man he's like i just got my drone signal back and he's like i'm flying it back i'm flying it back i'm flying it back and he just he brought it home but it was like one percent battery left and it was about to auto land on its own and he would have had no idea where it was mm. well the app does a pretty good job of tracking where your drone's at so like if you have a map that's like cached on your phone which it usually does you are able to kind of see where it's at um but yeah no he's lucky you got it back what about jacob what was your first notable or not notable experience with a drone on a video project my first notable drone experience um was with actually my buddy austin wolf and he's kind of been with me in the whole start of golden peak since the beginning and he's a part of this group of guys that i met in college toey andres and austin and it was the four of us that ran around and did these college projects together me loving cars them as well would always help me do my school projects that i would always turn into car car biased projects basically or commercials and so this one that we had come up with was basically a documentary on the history of the bmw m3 starting with the e30 and ending with the f80 at the time and one of the track days or i'm sorry one of the shoot days was at brainerd national raceway a track that we go to a lot we got the track to ourselves thanks to our friend mike wagner who's an instructor there or was an instructor there and he opened it up for us and then i brought uh austin he was in charge of drone shots i was in charge of shooting telly's my gear guy and also second shooter and then andres is a second shooter and so we were up there shooting the documentary basically hero shots of the I think five generations together and then individual rollers and all this stuff. And when Austin brought out the Inspire One, I think is what he had. It was kind of like this big epic drone. The only thing I'd seen before that was the Phantoms. And I always thought the Phantoms looked funny. They kind of look like the same material that a hairdryer is made out of. I don't know. They look like this smooth, cheap plastic. Anyways, great, great drones. Who cares how it looks if it shoots it, good? But the yeah. i2 was a big step up over the Phantom. The i2 even was at a big step. Time. And I think the design differences are just like, whoa, you know, like looking at that thing over there. And so he flew the drone. I thought it was sweet. The footage we got was great. But that was out of the Inspire 1, which seems so long ago. That was probably 2012. No, that was probably 2015, I'm going to say. And I don't remember what the technical differences are between the i2 and the i1. Well, I, I know think they went with a, you know, a Super 35 sensor, big, big new camera and sensor on the i2. But mm -hmm. 
I don't remember what the old one shot at. The shape's pretty much the same. Yeah, the chassis is about the same. There's there's hardware upgrades, obviously, but the design is identical. Yeah, so that was the first time, my first experience, I guess, with a drone, actually paying attention and planning drone shots for a project. It was pretty cool. I'd like to put drone in all my stuff. I have a handful of clients, actually, who don't value drone shots as much as I think that they should. Because it's kind of this perspective of... Do they have a reason why? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I'll, the main reason, the main comment I get from one of our clients is it's a lot of event coverage. And when we shoot from the air, it's making the event look smaller than he wants it to be. Which I can understand, but also from the air, it's this level of like basically cinematic valuableness. <laughs> that well, just I think like a good boosts. camera operator, it's your job to make to sell the idea. Right. So if you're, if your job is to make this event look awesome, um, and if you go too high, it's looking straight down, then yeah, your event's going to look kind of small because it's looking at a big, you know, big earth. So right. I think that's um, one of my favorite perspectives though, is actually when the drone is up high and it's looking exactly straight down. For sure. I don't know why. Yeah, I've just, just always liked that shot, especially uh, when you're tracking a car, like on a curvy road and you kind of get it all and that road is just like drawing a line across the screen. Like I said, they're dynamic. I like dynamic. Dynamic photo works. Yeah. So, but anyway, a good drone operator is going to be able to get the shots that the client wants. And if the client wants, you know, cinematic, if he wants his event to look big, if he wants to track a car, if he wants to do all these things, then you got to get those shots. You got to plan it out. You got to make, make it happen. And uh, that's what I love. And I think that I get a lot more flexibility now out of the I2 with the lens changeability. Tell me which lenses you have. Again. So I've only got two of the four currently that are available. They're made by DJI. I've got the 24 mil and the 50 mil. Do you think you want a longer? And they make even the, a wider no, lens the 50 too. is the longest one they currently have. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't need, they have like a 35 that I don't think I would ever need, but I do want the 16, which is going to be a nice wide angle. So you'd have 16, 24 and 50. Yeah. That'd be cool. The compression from the 50 mil on Pike's Peak, I looked through some of the footage. Just incredible. Yeah. It looks cool. It's like not, I'm, you know, I'm not doing, I'm just the dope behind the controller, but it's like, (laughs) it's the camera, you know, it's that technology flying. You know, it's like, oh, what if my camera that I'm holding right now could get up to that vantage point? Oh, and now it can because it's on a drone and it's so cool. It's just, it's incredible. It's a valuable tool to capture, especially landscapes, let alone a mountain. Sure. But Um, the Ronin 2 comes with dual controllers. You and I have played with it a couple of times. Do you see value in that or do you find that you're still a better drone operator doing everything yourself? That's another good question. So yeah, I have two remotes. You set it up. One is a master. One is a, like, this sounds really bad nowadays, but one is a slave um, <laughs> Easy, operator. Um, Easy. Basically, there's two cameras on the i2. Um, there's a little FPV camera that's like a really tiny camera that's really low resolution, but that's just for navigation. And that's on the front of it, right? Yep. Not so, even attached and to it's, the... it's even like on a little stabilized gimbal thing. Um, so as you set up the two remotes, the master uh, operator is the one who flies the drone and the slave is the one that flies or uh, operates a camera. Um, as the master, you have a you have a, uh, a view on your screen that is showing you the, the cheap camera just so you can 
sure. see what direction you're going. Sure. Um, while uh, the slave, you, would be operating... <laughs> Sorry, I like cracking my voice. I'm not your slave. As the slave, you would be operating the camera and you got the nice picture out of that one. Um, but I think there's, I, I, I think you and I are yet to come across the, um, the job where that's necessary. Right. But I do think in the right applications for the, for a certain shot that you want, it would be very valuable. And we just, we haven't, we haven't come across it yet. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like, I find as much drone shot planning as we do, it ends up still kind of coming down to, all right, the car is driving. Let's see what we get, you know? And in those cases, it's still not the perfect enough scenario, I guess, to have two operators. Right. I think we also need to come up with our own like chain of commands. So we understand what we're saying. Yeah. (laughs) And some, yeah. Okay. Sometimes left is right. And. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that just takes a little practice. Yeah, our first time we operated as a, as a two camera. Like, like, Josh, the other way. The two, Dang, a two operator system. We were over a lake. There was nothing to hit, thank God. But It's good practice. Yeah, we were like, which way are you going? I don't know which way I'm going. And we're like, just, we were a mess. Oh, we so. All that talk goes on in your head when you're a single operator. Right. Um, but I think when the right job comes along, having two remotes will be very valuable. Um, basically like if you're going to set, okay, so we're going to have a car going down, you know, this long stretch of road. Um, there's some obstacles to avoid power lines, a tree, whatever. That's when it would be very valuable to be like, okay, we got to do a pan and I need you to focus on that pan while I just focus on going straight and avoiding the obstacles and having good insurance (laughs) that too. (laughs) But I'm thinking that's when it would be valuable when you need that specific shot. That's like the money shot. Yeah, that makes sense. So we just haven't like needed that specific thing yet, but I think it's, I think it's coming. So thank you for listening to us today. We are going to do some more of these podcasts that are very gear focused, especially as we buy new things. One of which is a Flocini black arm that has now elevated our ability with rig car and vehicle tracking work. Um, so let us know what you want to hear more of. This is just kind of all about drones. We could talk all about cameras. We're probably going to talk about the Flocini black arm here soon. And then uh, we just want to pretty much create content that people are interested in listening to that are also in our industry. Right. And I would urge you, well, first of all, thank you for listening to this podcast. And (laughs) I would urge you to, if you're interested in drones, uh, to educate yourself, even if you don't need a certification, um, an FAA license, I would still educate you. uh, uh, I would urge you to educate yourself on rules of the sky, ATC, all things air traffic control, just because it's good stuff to know. Yep. There's great articles and I'm sure hundreds of YouTube videos that kind of just walk you through step-by-step anything you want to know about a drone. As well as the formal training like materials for the licensing. Yeah. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. They will be back again next week with a new one. Pow. Pow.